My name is Joe Kent. I'm an America First Republican running against Congresswoman Butler. Congresswoman Butler voted for the impeachment of President Trump with the Democrats. The Pacific Northwest has always been my home. I grew up camping and hiking throughout the Cascade Mountain Range and exploring the Columbia River Valley Gorge and Boy Scouts. I was fascinated by the outdoors. Inspired by the Rangers from the famous Black Hawk Down incident in 1993 in Mogadishu, I enlisted in the Army at age 18 and earned my way into Ranger Regiment and eventually Special Forces. When our nation was attacked on 9-11, I was exactly where I wanted to be, defending my country. Throughout 11 combat deployments, I saw the failures of the government establishment, keeping us at war in the Middle East. I became an America First Republican after watching our government lie about regime change wars and ship our economy overseas. In the midst of continual combat, I met and married my soulmate, Shannon Kent, a fellow warrior and special operator. Shannon blessed me with two sons and a loving family life. I plan to continue to serve our nation abroad, fighting our enemies overseas, until the 16th of January, 2019, when Shannon was killed fighting ISIS in Mandij, Syria. I was devastated. I left my job in the intelligence community and returned home to the Pacific Northwest. But peace wasn't in store for us. Shortly after we returned home, I watched Portland and Seattle devolve into nightly riots and lawlessness. Once beautiful cities destroyed by the left's quest for power. I wanted to do something to stop the downward spiral that our society was headed in. In 20 years of fighting on the battlefields and through my wife's death, I know what it's like to be on the receiving end of failed policy. The events of 2020, including the lockdowns, riots, and a presidential election manipulated by a cabal of technocrats and bureaucrats followed by a sham impeachment, a sham impeachment that our Congresswoman voted for, made it clear to me that I had to go forward and fight once more. I've never been someone who can ask others to go and fight for me. That's why I'm asking to go fight for you in Congress, just like I did throughout my 11 combat deployments. I view this fight in Congress as a continuation of the oath that I took 23 years ago. I'm here to support and defend the Constitution and to fight for my fellow Americans. The entire time I was fighting overseas, I lived by the motto, if not me, then who? If not when, but now, send me. Together, we can elect someone to replace Congresswoman Butler who won't betray our values. Oh, hi, I'm Joshua Cash, and this is Wrong Opinion. That was Joe Kent's announcement that he was running for Congress, and it went viral. I, I've kind of, I've been seeing him a lot lately. He was actually on Tucker, the, the final video I'm going to play for you guys is his appearance on Tucker. Um, 
and it's it's a, he, he's an incredible person and I'm glad to have him today with us to interview him because very few people running in politics in general the people who gravitate towards being politicians aren't those types of people he's a real man so I think you're going to really enjoy this interview and I have nothing else to say they, he's just a he's just a very impressive person and uh, that that's basically who should be a politician by the way it's a warrior warriors should be politicians the these uh the the types that are are gravitating towards politics those are not the those are not the people that you want in power the people that that crave power are not the ones that you want in power he clearly doesn't crave power um and he understands the the way this country works the way the military works the way the military industrial complex works so that's all i have to say you know, this is a good week. This is a good week of interviews and shows, and and it's just getting better and better. So sit back, relax, enjoy my interview with Joe Kent. You have a story unlike anyone else who's running for office. Um, typically, the people who gravitate towards running for any sort of office, they um, they're not, they don't know how this country works. So they're ripe for corruption. And I don't yeah. think that they really even have any convictions on either side. And, mm-hmm. um, right. and I think that, I think that, I think that maybe the tide is turning because they, they're waking up a sleeping giant. Like you, it seems like you were never interested in politics. You more, you were more interested in, in protecting our country and being in the intelligence community and being in the military. And, uh, you're the last person I would assume that they would want to run for office. Yeah, probably. Yeah, more than likely, the establishment especially. Yeah, um, and and um, so I think I think that this is a, a really good thing. But I I saw a th- I saw something. I don't know how accurate this is, but this is the average Republican voter versus the average Republican politician, and I think this is the problem. I agree. Uh, no, I think that's probably accurate. Yeah, the problem is is that the average Republican voter is um is clearly conservative yet they time and time again they are being fucked over by the politicians and it's weird because the voters um we it's almost like we take the bait every time and 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 this time it will be different i think the only time it really was different was with trump yeah i think so too man i mean i, I think for a long time the republican establishment has just been running this absolute scam because for Far too long we've had these establishment republicans that have all these corporate interests whether it's major corporations or it's just professional politicians who have been completely and totally co-opted by the dc beltway military industrial complex all that and so they've been protecting those corporate interests as permanent government interests and then they'll go when it's election time and they'll talk about like some you know tabletop issues like hey we want to make the economy work for you and we want to get you jobs, but they don't ever explain how the jobs are going to actually come back or the reasons why the jobs left in the first place. Um, they talk about some generic religious issues, you know, like how to actually protect the lives of the unborn. Um, and then they, they always fall back with tax cuts too. But then they actually, then they go to DC and they don't actually fight for them. And the Democrats have become so powerful. The left has become so powerful that 
they're willing to come and use all kinds of intrusive methods to get their way. We saw that in this last year with Antifa and BLM burning entire cities. And so now I think Republicans or conservative voters are actually realizing that like the GOP won't save them from the left. They can't even negotiate with the left. The left is just so aggressive and unafraid that we actually have to we actually have to look for uh, unconventional candidates. Yeah, but the the weird thing also is that not only do the GOP politicians keep capitulating to the left and they don't really have any real convictions, but they um they're very they're very much interested in their they respect the institutions of the left. You know, you know what I mean? Like, like they mm-hmm. want to be on the morning shows on, on MSNBC. They want to be on all yeah. those shows. And it's like they not only do they keep capitulating and they abandon their convictions, but but they also respect it's It's like we're always on the left's the left's uh, playing field. You know, we, we, yes. we we're always on the defense. And it's weird that they yes. want the respect of The New York Times. Yeah, I think is at the end of the day, it really is uniparty, I think, is probably one of the most accurate descriptions. I mean, these guys, when it, when push comes to shove, your Paul Ryan's, your Mitt Romney's, Jamie Herrera Butler, the woman I'm going after, they're way more comfortable in the D.C. Beltway doing an interview with The Washington Post, um, CNN, Fox News, whoever. They, they want that adoration from, like you said, the institutions. But then also they know who who butters their bread, really. Like they want to be able to support the corporate donor class and the corporate donor class. They care about themselves. They don't care about the American people. So, uh, you know, I I think that that's just we're always playing on the left playing field. And I think that was the appeal of Trump. I mean, the the people, the folks on the left and the mainstream media, very few of them got that. They thought there's some sort of cult of personality of Trump. We all just liked it that Trump actually spoke the truth of what was going on on the ground level. But then also that he punched right through that, like at no point in time. Did Trump, when he was being true, authentic Trump, did he care about what the New York Times, the Washington Post thought about him? That's why the whole title of fake news, I think, was just so great, you know, with the way that he the way that he just laid that all out there. And I, I think Trump really opened up a really big breach, to use a military term, for the rest of us unconventional candidates to kind of to, to be able to run through and create the space for for your average voter to see that they didn't have to vote for a Paul Ryan or a Mitt Romney. Um, to get like one or two of their agenda items through that they could actually have authentic candidates. Yeah, I I um I don't understand how the establishment can't see that everything that they push, everything that they promote is not popular. I mean, you can even look at right. the culture war that we're experiencing now. Uh, they have to keep talking about the trans stuff and they put it on kids networks. They they put it, they really are heavy handed with that. And it's clearly not popular. Like you, let's say Nickelodeon puts a video of a drag queen on Blue's Clues or whatever, and they put it on YouTube. Uh, they have to disable the comments. They have to take off the voting uh, mechanism in YouTube because it's clearly unpopular. And it's the same thing with someone like Joe Biden. He's clearly unpopular. No one watches him when he speaks. And the people that they do, uh, it's heavily downvoted. Whereas you have someone like Trump, uh, extremely popular to this day, even after a fake insurrection. Um, and, uh, and, um, it's just weird that the establishment can't understand that everything that they promote is, is is heavily unpopular. It's a losing battle. Um, I, 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 I just don't understand it. Have you, have you spent enough time with these sorts of people to understand their mindset? 
You know, honestly, what, what's great about uh, primarying an incumbent is that I really haven't, even if I wanted to, I couldn't go spend a lot of time with the establishment because they're so wishy-washy. They, they know that they're in this weird spot where if they go against the will of the base that they're going to be in this hard position but at the same time there's still this conventional logic that says they can't challenge an incumbent and they all have these different personal relationships with jamie Herrera butler the woman i'm primary because she's been here for so long she's been in congress for 10 years um before that she was in the state legislature too so uh luckily i don't really have to talk to very many of them and i get to talk to actually the grassroots and the base but what I, what i think um to your point i i think the the establishment they like these little culture war things too um they don't realize how 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 much that's affecting the people uh at, at the ground level how that's actually working its way into our schools they don't understand that they claim they do but i don't think their kids go to these schools i don't think they actually have to deal with it so they think it's this fun little culture issue that they can they can fundraise off of that's why every time that they're out of power you see the republicans get really tough on the culture war issues and they try and fundraise off it they say oh my god joe biden's gonna He's going to make it so that there's a bunch of different genders and he's going to put CRT into the schools and yay, fight Marxism, give me money. But then when they're actually in power, they shy away from those issues every step of the way. Because like you said at the beginning, they don't want to get criticized or heaven forbid someone, someone even insinuate that they might be racist or homophobic because then they'll have to go before the media and prove how non-racist or homophobic that, 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 that they are. So I think it's really all just a smokescreen for them to get to get our money and to get our votes and then to appease the establishment and the corporate donor class. It's just bizarre to me I, 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 that that these are adults and I guess they're kind of smart if they've gone that far and, and they don't realize that people gravitate towards real people. You're a real person uh, with real experiences that, that most people don't even get to do in their whole life. Uh, but it's clear that you're a real person. Um, I mean, Trump. Trump is too. It's it, it's hard to imagine he's even a billionaire. He seems like this blue collar guy who should have been yeah. a stand up comedian. And and you know, in another life, he would have been a stand up comedian. Comedian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about your your military service before we go forward with everything else because we sure. you did mention CRT. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the fake white supremacist threat our country is facing. All of these things are tied, are, are interlinked, but um, but I do want to talk about your military service. Uh, you joined the army in 1998. You you the army, right? That's right. Yeah, and 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 you were in the military for for 20 years. Um, why don't more people in the military uh, try try to get into uh, into politics? It doesn't seem like most people who who gravitate towards politics get in there that's just kind of bizarre to me but but put that aside i want i want to uh why why did you join the army so so honestly the short answer is it's all i ever wanted to do i mean i i don't uh, i don't remember ever really having serious plans of doing anything other than enlisting in the army when i was 18. And so you know when you're you know you're a little boy and you're trying to figure out what you want to be you know i i learned that there was these guys called soldiers that got to jump out of airplanes and have guns i was like oh man that's awesome gi joe i'll go do that but then as i got older and started looking at you know american history i was like wow it's pretty amazing that there's there's a a class of, of warriors that go overseas by and large and and fight bad people doing bad things that want to harm our country they go and they do that for us that we can live peacefully here so i i, I was really uh, in love with that idea and so i when i turned 18 enlisted in the army i uh, went to ranger regiment and then uh, worked my way into special forces right around the time that 9 11 happened 
And and then um, when when did you become a Green Beret? So I started the I went to Special Forces Selection. It's a long process in 2001. So I was actually in Special Forces Selection, this intensive like screening process they have for about a month um, when 9-11 happened. So that's how I learned the towers fell and we were under attack. And then it takes about another year and a half to actually get through um the qualifications course to become a green breaks you go to a bunch of different training you go to language school you gotta learn a language and all that so it was 2003 when i actually graduated you you have to learn an, another language you do yeah green berets they go through all the typical commando training that you'd expect there's some unconventional warfare aspects that are fairly unique to um learning how to essentially raise up an insurgent force and overthrow a government and then you go and you actually have to learn a language because uh the units that special forces guys are in the green berets are in it's called special forces groups and they're all regionally oriented so you're supposed to become a subject matter expert on the uh, part of the world that you're kind of assigned to what what language did you learn so I initially learned Pashto um, because Afghanistan, we had just invaded Afghanistan, but then shortly thereafter, we invaded Iraq and I spent most of my career either in Iraq or in the Middle East. So I switched my language to, to Arabic after a couple of years. Oh, wow. You know, it's it's interesting that as a as a young kid, because uh, you're you were born, I guess, in 1980. Mm -hmm. yeah, yep. I'm, I'm 86. So we're we, I guess we grew up around the same era. Um, yeah. And I grew up in South Florida. Um, I guess, I guess, uh, with a well-off family, but, um, the reverence you have for, for the military is not anything I really grew up with. And that's something that I've cultivated, uh, pretty much Trump revitalized that in me. Um, and, uh, how did, um, how did you get that? How did you get that interest in it? That, because it seems like I have to go back. If we're talking about pop culture, I have to go back 30 years, 40 years, 50 years to 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 see things uh, uh let's say out of hollywood or something that that were made with uh the the love of the country in mind it's almost like yeah. we haven't been allowed to love this country and 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 you had that how did you get that yeah it is kind of odd man because i think if you grew up in the 80s or even the 90s our parents our parents generation had a pretty big scar from the vietnam war and there was this huge clash class division between the guys that got drafted and went over and fought and the guys that got out of it because of college so um my parents were super patriotic but i'm not from a military family um you know both my grandparents fought in world war ii as was the case with that generation but you know um really it was just something i was always really interested in the historical aspect i got really involved in boy scouts too when i was young and so i had uh, a boy scout leader who was a green, uh, vietnam era green beret um, and so a lot of it was, you know, all the, all the good, um, hearty stuff about Boy Scouts, giving young men a place to go out and, and run around the woods and just kind of channel that young aggression and that all that young angst towards something positive, I think was huge. But then also just seeing that hearing his stories that he had gone over and fought and he was just so unique because that, that, that amount of masculinity was just kind of not something that was celebrated um in our culture and so i, I was kind of drawn to that you know and then my parents were super supportive of uh of me wanting to go in the military once they kind of realized that's that's what i wanted to do yeah uh, but yeah it was probably boy scouts i think was probably the biggest influence which is a weird thing also because these are institutions that are being dismantled i mean if anything we need more of yeah. those things and then you mentioned vietnam which which i mean in retrospect is is a is a travesty it's i mean it's something that in my opinion we we shouldn't have 
that was kind of the start of the downfall, if you really think about it. It was. Um, yes. And and uh, and I guess that I guess you're right. I guess that's why the the, the reverence kind of just kind of died. The reverence reverence of the military kind of just dissipated. Uh, I guess be, beginning with that. But um, it's this is something I've been thinking about. Because uh, back to pop culture, you look at a movie like Starship Troopers. I guess it was a it was a book as well. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but um, yeah. in order to be a citizen yep. in that society, in order to be a citizen, you had to serve. So in order to have the right to vote or anything like that, yep. you had to serve. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot because um, I think that in order to uh, prevent a, a sort of Vietnam, everyone has to have a stake. So I, 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 I think that uh, having some sort of draft is a good idea, especially for men, not for women. I think for men, it, it would be, you know, perfect, the perfect thing um, in, in a combination of that and, and not forcing people to to uh, go to university. Like the, the fact of the matter is, is that that's been pushed so heavily. And in, in, in my opinion, I think five percent of the population should maybe go to college. And now we have this. Uh, bubble, you know, of people going into debt, whereas they could have done something positive for the country. They could have served the country. Um, oh, yeah. And, and, and so, you, you know what I mean? Like if people had a stake in this country, their kids are going to the military, I think would be would pay attention a little bit more. We would care a little bit more about what the government is doing uh, with the military, what the military industrial complex is up to. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting, man. I, I definitely agree with you um, on, on two levels that a draft would present prevent us from going into these endless wars because everybody would have skin in the game. Uh, and then also, I, I do agree too. We could be giving, we could be creating opportunities for people right out of high school to get job training, to get education and some life experience, um, right. and that wouldn't necessarily create this trap of like there's no manufacturing jobs left. But you also you, you can't do anything about a college degree is what we tell so many young men and women. And then they go into college debt and it turns out there's not that many jobs. So I think that that would definitely prevent that. I think we were in a really unique position after Vietnam because the draft left such a bad taste in that generation's uh, collective memory that they, they were very uh, apprehensive about going to war again. I think that actually kept us out of war in the eighties and nineties. But by the time nine 11 rolled around, we had built this great all volunteer force that I'm, I'm proud to have been a part of all volunteer warriors, highly professional. And so when um, when 9-11 happened, we had a volunteer force that would go off eagerly to combat. And there was enough young men and women that were like, oh man, I wanna go do something about that. I wanna go fight too. But it wasn't enough that the average American felt it like they did in Vietnam. There was no draft numbers. There was no whole neighborhoods of kids coming back in body bags. Mm -hmm. So the, the American people got very separated from this. And what that allowed the establishment to do, what that allowed the military industrial complex to do was essentially have a blank check for war because none of the elected uh, representatives, they weren't getting held accountable by the American people because the American people really couldn't feel the war. So everybody could wrap themselves in this banner of patriotism that they felt guilty for, they felt guilty about the way they treated the Vietnam veterans. They could treat my generation really, really well, which we were, we were treated very, very well um, compared to the Vietnam veterans, but there was no collective shared burden. And that just created highly professional military, but then also a citizenry and a political class that was completely and totally uninterested really in the wars that were going on. And now we find ourselves in this trap where we're 20 years deep in these conflicts and we can't seem a way to find ourselves out. So I, I would really like to have some form of a draft just because 
when it comes time for us to go past the one year mark or we can't articulate why we're in these places anymore, I want people in suburbia to be mad about that. And, and honestly, we've come so far from including women in the military and I think that's a good thing. I would draft the women too. So like pretty much everybody that is 18 and up, like you have the potential if the government is, if the people that we elect are going to be dumb enough to send us off to war, it's going to affect everybody. I think that'd be a really good check to have on perpetual war. Yeah, I think I think uh, we would also be not only concerned with the going to war, but just how the military functions um, on its own. It's be, from what I've been hearing, it's it's gone completely woke. And I did want to talk about your you you, you you also were in the CIA, right? Was yeah for a brief period. That was going to be my second career. Um, I was in the CIA for about a year after I retired. Uh, after my wife was killed, I resigned and, and moved back here. Um. Did you see that video? I, I, I spoke about it on this podcast about a month ago, that, that video that the CIA put out. First of all, they did a whole rebrand, which is weird. Um, and then they, they uh, did this whole woke series of, of these um, black, lesbian, whatever. And that's like why they're in the CIA. Uh, did you see that, that woke series of the CIA? Has it gone completely woke? Because in my mind, the military has, the CIA has, uh, all these... These uh, in, the the whole intelligence. I mean, clearly the FBI has as well. Yeah, the I mean, the CIA's recruiting video. They they tried so hard to throw in so many different woke terms. It kind of makes me wonder if like whoever got charged, whoever was in charge of like producing that video was just doing it to be so over the top. Like I I don't know that one just seemed out of control for me. But I mean the the, the agency is a, is a really important institution. Um, we need people to go out and to find the truth and be able to speak truth to power. Our politicians need intelligence. And so to take away the CIA from that core mission and have them playing all these political games, like the way that we've seen intelligence weaponized against the American people, that's absolutely criminal. And then there's there's going to be a different culture, I think, in the CIA and in some of these agencies because they're recruiting so heavily from the college campuses, which I think is something that they should probably be giving away from because they've created this. I mean, how many kids can actually afford to go to one of these really prestigious institutions that the CIA is recruiting out of? Um, so that really limits the amount of people they can get into the intelligence community. And it's all essentially from the same upper middle class to well-off elites that get into these uh, these really rich schools. And then the whole game in DC is to stay stay somewhere on the on the left side of things because that's the whole the whole town leans left the think tanks all lean left all the corporate incentives lean left so if you're one of these intelligence agencies or law enforcement agencies or a career bureaucrat at the DOD like most of our senior ranking officers are the safe bet is to go woke um, and that's what all these these different uh, agencies are doing what's going on right now though with the DOD and the intelligence community since Biden came in he's using the woke doctrine to figure out who's going to be loyal to him and who's not. So the harder you're seeing all these senior officers do all the woke virtue signaling on social media and on the floor of Congress, like they were yesterday, that's being done so they can show, Hey, I, I fully submit to the current regime because day one, when secretary of defense Austin came in there, he said, our number one problem is white nationalists and extremists in our ranks. He didn't present any evidence. Um, I worked no, for Austin. There's, there's no evidence. There's, There's no evidence. He didn't present me. He just said that. And so now uh, the trickle down effect that has, especially when they install political commissars like Bishop Garrison at DOD and Estrada down at SOCOM, 
Special Operations Command, is all these subordinate officers are like, well, if I don't say something and I don't virtue signal really, really hard, they're going to think that I'm non-compliant. They're going to come for me and there's going to be professional ramifications. And so that's why I think now we're seeing like everybody wants to everybody wants to say like, I am the wokest, wokest dude ever. Don't look at me. Look at the next guy. Um. You know, it seems like the intelligence community, like you said, they're they're recruiting people from from college. It's like they're assembling a really shitty tech company. Like it's not the badasses like you. How, what what percentage of of the CIA is is commie? Like it seems like they're all commies. Like the FBI, it's a it's they're all commies, uh, and it's almost like Joseph McCarthy was right, and that was the real. Uh, there was a real infiltration, and now we're seeing the repercussions today um and it almost seems unfixable yeah the se- the senior ranks the ones that are politically motivated and the political appointees that that really like never worked in the cia or the fbi like comey everybody always likes to portray that comey was some sort of a door kicking fbi g-man but the guy was really just a crappy prosecutor who got put in charge of the fbi who completely and totally weaponized it there's a lot of that too at the CIA. I mean, you can make a decision uh, pretty early on in your career if you want to continue to climb the political ladder. And again, that the further left you lean, the more uh, valuable you're going to be, the more protected you're going to be. That's just the system in DC. Um, the, the, there's a lot of good patriots in the CIA. Uh, I, I think the university system sets it up for failure. And then the culture, if you want to get promoted, you need to be left to center left. If you, Especially if you supported Trump, you're not going to have a lot of longevity there you're gonna have to be really quiet about your political beliefs if you're a conservative i was a i was a paramilitary operations officer so we're pretty unique because we're all recruited right out of special operations so we kind of get left alone in our own little corner uh of the agency and we we don't really represent the agency's culture i would say that's just my my uh, experience based on my time there well, I don't know. From the outside looking in, it, it it's um it's very bleak. The episode I did yesterday with Noor bin Laden, she she um she was talking about the articles that Revolver magazine, Revol- Revolver yeah. News has been publishing and Tucker Tucker Carlson was talking about on his show how the FBI is aggressively going after uh Trump supporters. Yeah. That's all it is. It, they're, oh, yeah. they're they're political prisoners, the people in prison now. Um there there was yeah. very, very little violence. If if we're gonna compare it to BLM and Antifa, there was no violence. Nothing happened. Um right. and and um I even had someone an hour ago DM me who's a subscriber of this show. Uh he messaged me on Instagram saying that the FBI called him in to their Connecticut offices earlier this week on Tuesday. And uh, and he said, I don't want to go. And they said, well, we're going to send the FBI to your house and we're going to put out a warrant for your arrest if you don't come in. So he said, "Okay, I'll come in. Uh, And they called him in because they were they're working together with Facebook. This is known already. Uh, And they said uh, and they're scanning uh, all the pictures on January 6th. Who was there? He wasn't even there. He just posted pictures of January 6th on January 6th, and they called him in. And then they asked him if he was a Trump supporter or if, if, if he likes Trump. I mean, it, it, it's, um, it's obvious what they're doing is they're trying to paint Trump supporters as, as uh, terrorists, as insurgents. Yeah. And, and um, um, it, it, which will, will – well, I guess – their plan is it won't allow him to run for president again because people will be too afraid to support him. I, I, I like I said, you can't uh, something that's real, really grassroots and popular. You can't really quell like that. I don't think. 
but no, they want to use the, they want to use the narrative of an insurrection to say that everybody who is a Trump supporter or says, "Hey, there's discrepancies with the election," that we're all part of this narrative. That's why they've had to really push that there was this massive insurrection on January sixth. That you know, a police officer got beaten to death. But then the more time that goes by and the more good reporting is done by actual reporters like Darren Beatty at Revolver, we see that like no, the guy wasn't beaten to death. You know, there, all the other facts came out later that he died of a of a stroke later on. And we still don't know the full details because they had the guy's body cremated and they refused to release all the footage from January 6th. So it'd be one thing if all the facts were clear, but the government is absolutely suppressing all the facts. So it's really hard as a reasonable person to say like that there isn't a concerted effort to weaponize this narrative against every single Trump supporter and the way that they've, like you said, detained people without any due process from months now and the way that they're going after people. I mean, they raided a couple's house in Alaska looking for some laptop or whatever. Um, oh, yeah. They it, asked it, you know, about it, it's the laptop. Just, so, so, yeah, I, guess, I mean, so, it, it's just out of control. <laughs> yeah, I guess someone really did take Nancy Pelosi's laptop because they asked him if he had it. Uh, the, the guy that DM'd me. But I mean, it's it's such a joke. It, but I mean, you, you said it. Enough time has passed and, and we, footage has been coming out and there has been good reporting. So I actually was under the impression that this story kind of died, that it was going to last. I, I thought it was it lasted maximum a month, but it's um it's it's a little bit more aggressive now than it's ever been. It, it, it's somehow snowballed without any real um, proof to, to back any of, of, of their claims up. I think the more that you see the election being adjudicated, the more that you see what's going on down in Maricopa County, the more that you see what's come out in Georgia. As the as the narrative behind the 2020 election erodes as well, they the left and the mainstream media, they absolutely need the January 6th narrative of an insurrection. They need that desperately because that they're hoping that that drowns out all the discrepancies that are coming to light from from the audit. You know, I mean, that's 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 in my view, that's the big thing. That's the play is to put the insurrection narrative first and foremost, so they can use the tools of law enforcement against the people that are going out and adjudicating the election to suppress what actually happened with the election. You saw Merrick Garland just last week saying he was going to come down to Arizona potentially and try and take legal action against the people that are doing the the legal state Senate, state legislature approved audit. So, and, and, you know, and they're falling back on this whole big lie narrative, insurrection narrative. They, they desperately need it. That's why I think that they're not releasing all the facts, because if all the facts came out, and in my view of being in high stress situations that require lots and lots of planning, I really think at the end of the day, the people that were charged of securing the Capitol really just screwed up and they did a horrible job of securing the Capitol. And, and some of them were really arrogant and, and really um, failed to plan. And they disregarded a lot of the intelligence that was out there. Now, Darren Beatty's pulled on a very interesting thread about where all that intelligence is coming from, whether or not it was informants or not. Again, like we can clear all this up in about a day. If the FBI released pretty much everything they knew about how many informants they had within the one six crowd and we released all the footage, we'd know. So why won't they just release it? Because it kills their narrative. That's why. Then we're going to look at what's going on with the audit. So the audit is something interesting, and I spoke to Noor about that yesterday as well. It does seem like that is picking up steam as well. What do you think? Because it cl- it's clear that they're afraid of of something. Because if if um if they were confident that nothing happened, nothing 
nothing with the like the election hasn't been tampered with and it's totally kosher and all of that uh then they would, they would ignore it oh they're doing an audit in arizona no one cares like why we even uh shine a light on that uh but yeah. they're clearly afraid of that what do you what do you think is going to come of it yeah i mean i think just what's already come to light um is going to actually be solidified because we're going to have an official actual audit i mean obviously the the uh the ballot component there, there's chain of custody issues that's on the ballot boxes um there's going to be a real hard check against the uh, the voter rosters and then the actual physical ballots and then from there potentially even a recanvas where they go out and they run down the, the individuals that are in dispute and then also i mean what we've already found from the dominion machines dominion saying that they wouldn't hand over the administrative password to the tabulation machines I don't see how every American isn't up in arms about that, that we have a technology company that's saying you can't have the password to help adjudicate your election. Like that's that's where I'd like to see the DOJ actually take some action and say, no, Dominion, you will give that up because this is our election. This isn't something to screw with. Um, so th that's going to come to light. But then also I, I've been told um, by some people that there's, there's going to be big surprises that come out of all the ballots. Um, and I, I think we've already seen some of that with the chain of custody issues. Same thing in Georgia. I mean, Georgia basically, based on the national change of uh, address database alone, we have a number of ballots that have to be thrown out that exceeds the victory margin. The victory yeah, margin there is under 12,500. Yeah, the, and they, yeah. it was 108,000 voters that, that right. they're going to throw out. Which exactly. Trump wanted so, them to, to, to do. Um, you know, right after the election, but they're yeah. doing it now. And then we have other states. Yeah. And then there's all the other states too. There's, I mean, Pennsylvania is a legal mess just because of all the violations of the consent decrees. Um, there's ballot level issues there. Wisconsin has issues with the, uh, the permanently confined roster uh, of people that got the mail out ballots. Um, and then I, I believe in uh, Michigan as well. New Hampshire's got massive issues with the Dominion machines. So once all these states get done with their with their um, their full adjudications and their audits, I think we're going to see that hey, this last le election was not legitimate, and I think we're going to be in very unprecedented times. But what happens if um, just the media completely ignores it? Do you think they're capable of completely ignoring everything and and trying to just hold it, all the information back by just not even paying attention to it? I think they know that right now there's enough independent media that they can't ignore it. Again, that, that goes right back to the January 6th. They have to tie the audit into January 6th. They have to say that everybody that's questioning this is some form of an insurrectionist, that if you have the audacity to want an adjudication or an audit of the election, that you're somehow an insurrectionist, just like those barbarians that stormed the Capitol. That seems to me to be their strategy. There's some, I, I think, in the mainstream media that are ignoring it. But really, the vanguards of the left-wing mainstream media, like Rachel Maddow, the MSNBC crew, the Morning Joe crew, they're really going hard in the pain on, hey, this is one big kooky conspiracy theory that is actually dangerous. It's actually dangerous that these guys want to go and do this because these yeah. are the same people that almost overthrew the government. Yeah, it's a it's a threat to our democracy. That's what they keep yeah, saying. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I want it to... Um... Did you see this? Oh, actually, so I, this is kind of um, what I was alluding to before. It's a quote I saw on, on I think, Twitter or Telegram. And I think this, like, this is the main problem we're facing. But then I want to talk about the general uh, uh, accepting CRT. So this is a quote I saw yesterday. A nation can survive its fools and even its 
uh, even the ambitious, but it cannot survive treason from within. An, em an enemy at the gates is less formidable, for he is known and carries his banner openly. But the traitor moves amongst those within the gate freely, his sly whispers rustling through all the alleys, heard in the very halls of government itself. For the traitors appear not a traitor, he speaks in accents familiar to his victims, and he wears their face and their arguments. He appeals to the baseness uh, that lies deep in the hearts of all men. He rots the soul of a nation. He works secretly and unknown in the night to undermine the pillars of the city. He infects the body politic so that it can no longer resist. A murderer is less to fear. That was Marcus Tilius Cicero. So I think that's like exactly what we're talking about. And I think that's exactly what the problem is. I mean, everything we spoke about with regards to uh, the intelligence community going woke, but also uh, the military is is going completely woke. Um, so I, I'm sure you saw this, but I want to play this for the um, for the audience. It's a uh, joint Joint Chiefs Chairman General Mark Milley offered a forceful rebuke <laughs> of renewed efforts from GOP congressmen to question the Defense Department's diversity efforts and alleged embrace of critical race theory. So before I play that clip, isn't the purpose of the military uh, solely, yes, it's to protect our homeland and our borders and, and all that, but you're supposed to cultivate um, killers, I mean, warriors, like you're supposed to be the scariest people on earth. I don't think this this makes China fear us at all. I think this is exactly what they want us to start doing. Yeah, I mean, they want to see us have this Marxist ideology infect our system because the whole Marxist ideology, obviously, it's corrosive in its nature, but it also results in the installation of political commissars. And then we're too worried. Then the ranks are too worried about, oh, did I post something wrong? Am I part of the wrong political party? Have I said enough allegiance to the political party in the way that you say allegiance to the political party now is the woke doctrine. So yeah, I mean, I think I, I think this does make our enemies very, very happy that we're we're playing these silly games and that we we have allowed uh, critical race theory and political commissars and then uh, loyalty tests to anything other than the Constitution to be placed into our national security apparatus. I, I you know, politi politicians are one thing. You, you know that they don't have a backbone for the most part. But uh, to be a general, you, you have to be a badass. I mean, you, you you're right. I, am I wrong? I mean, <laughs> it's that this is the outside. Uh, I hope so, man. I mean. Past a certain point, you, you need to be more of a politician than a badass. I mean, the badass guys are, you know, I'm not saying that at one point in time, generally wasn't a badass, but to be a survivor in Washington, D.C., especially to survive multiple administrations, you have to be fairly politically savvy and you have to know what the machine wants. You have to know what the establishment wants. Usually in the military, they want more defense spending. They want the wars to continue and they want to make whoever is in the White House happy unless that person in the white house happens to be an establishment outsider like trump and then it kind of reverses the roles and the more that you go against trump that makes the beltway the establishment the military industrial complex all that much more happy now that we have an establishment guy like joe biden back in the white house the military is back to falling in line with what with whatever the administration puts out yeah uh, so I let, let let me play this clip just so people know what we're talking about, and then and then uh, we can get back on on track. One second. And it is important that we train and we understand. Uh, and I I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. 
So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America? What caused that? I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that, because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and Guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders, now and in the future, do understand it. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. So what is wrong with understanding, having some situational understanding about the country for which we are here to defend? And I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers, of being, quote, woke or something else because we're studying some theories that are out there. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. I mean, that's – it's honestly, it's so sad. And, and um, I, I, the last clip I'm going to play um, it, it, as the final video uh, of, this, of this podcast is um, – is gonna is your your clip on Tucker? It's like a three minute clip, and and um, where you kind of talk about about this, um, but uh, you, you spoke about how when Trump came into office, it was like a breath of fresh air, and 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 I assume that's how most of the military felt, but the people on top didn't because he he Trump talked shit about them. Um, yep. but, but I still can't wrap my head around it that like, you know, uh, you're saying that they had to kind of, they, that these guys have to play the game, right? Like they, they, they're like politicians, but deep down, wouldn't you think that they would feel like, uh, like a, a weight has been lifted off their shoulders? Like, Oh, Trump's here. Now we can really, um, you know, uh, uh manage things properly. So when Trump was telling, when Trump first came into office, you got to remember what was going on in the world. So we had ISIS had taken over large swaths of three different countries, Iraq, Syria, and Libya. Iran was running amok in the region. Um, ISIS had created a situation because of the ground they control where they were flooding all these refugees into Europe. ISIS was beginning to do attacks into Europe. There was a large threat back to the homeland from radical Islamic terrorism like we hadn't seen since prior to 9-11. That's what Trump inherited from Obama. So when Trump came in, he did have to, he, he was a breath of fresh air to the military, um, to guys that were like me uh, on two levels because Trump was gonna say, hey, I'm going to let you guys take the gloves off and I want you to go crush the caliphate, get rid of ISIS. And then we're going to check Iran because Obama, he didn't have the intestinal fortitude or the spine to end the wars. Like he said, he was going to instead he did something much worse. He left us over there in combat for eight years at risk, taking losses, losing people, losing great men, women, having them get maimed or killed. Um, but he didn't give us the really the permission or the authorities to actually go out and fight. The hallmark was the deployments weren't ending, but we weren't actually getting to actually go out and fight. There was there was some fighting going on, but it wasn't decisive. That was that was one of the ways. But the other way that he was uh, that Trump was very refreshing was that he when he came onto the scene, he said these wars are stupid. Period, and we never should have been in them. We should have gone over and we should have crushed Al Qaeda, and we never should have gotten in a nation building game. And that ran counter to the Republican doctrine of going over and sure. doing these regime change wars, the whole neoconservative ideology. So it was, it was, that's why Trump was refreshing on both levels to me. But the generals really liked, I mean, General Mattis and these guys, I mean, Millie was in the senior ranks then as well. They really liked the fact that Trump said, hey, let's go crush the caliphate. But once Trump reached the point where he said the caliphate is done and destroyed, let's pull our troops out. 
let's not start a new war with Iran, let's contain them. Um, that's when you saw the establishment really turn on him. And that's, well, that's the whole reason why I'm in politics. My wife was killed a month after Trump tried to get our troops out of Syria. Had they listened to the orders of the president, my wife would be alive to this day. So uh, that's, that's really where the, the establishment's head's at. The establishment wants the they want there to be continued power and respect and no actual checks and balances given to the Department of Defense and given to the establishment. These people are institutionalists. Mm -hmm. they, they have done patriotic things. I like to think at their core, they're still patriots. I'm not questioning their patriotism, but somewhere along the lines, it's really easy if you've been in government for that long to lose sight of what you're supposed to be doing and to have more allegiance to the institution of the Department of Defense, of the Army. And then that really trickles down to just this blind obedience to this group think from the Uniparty and the establishment in DC. And that's why I think we're really seeing manifest itself there with, with General Milley and then Secretary of Defense Austin's comments were, were very much the same. Right. Do you, um, do you fault Trump for uh, uh, not taking all the troops out? Because I ha so and I've mentioned this on the podcast around around two or three times already. But a few weeks ago, I had dinner with uh, former people who were in the uh, Trump administration, former Trump aides. And one of them was telling me that he told Trump, you don't need to get permission. Just sign a piece of paper. You don't need it doesn't even need to go through lawyers. Sign a piece of paper. I'm the commander in chief. I want to take all the troops out. So Trump is like, okay, let's do it. So Trump did it. And then he told me within 48 hours, the whole military apparatus, the intelligence community, everyone marched into the Oval Office and, and convinced him not to. And and the guy at dinner told me that the, the main problem with Trump was he was too nice. Do you fault Trump for not doubling down and saying, no, I'm the commander in chief. We need to get the hell out because I'm a I'm a I love Trump. I'm a, I miss him so much. I'm a major Trump supporter, but it seems like he he buckles uh, a little bit too easily with certain things. Yeah, I feel for him. I, I wish I, I wish we had a second Trump administration, because I think when he first came in, especially being a guy with no real background in foreign policy, I think he did what most people would have assumed the smart thing to do would have been and was to listen to all these so-called experts, right. even though the experts had very rarely gotten it right. But he he, he kind of needed them. He needed them to defeat ISIS. He needed guys like Mattis and Milley to go in and, and, and to crush the caliphate because Obama had like made it seem like it was just impossible to do. And right. so he had these folks in the military that were like, no, we can do this. Let me do it. And so he had to give them that much trust. So I, I understand from like a, a human and a personal perspective um, that he was very conflicted. Um, my biggest criticism of Trump, like you said, is that I, I really think that he should have just fired a hell of a lot more people. And he should have just said, I am going to keep firing people until people do what the hell I say. <laughs> and he yeah. should have done it in a very Trumpy way. He could have tweeted it, you know, um, and yeah. that would have been fine by me, honestly. That's my only criticism of Trump really is that he just should have fired more people. I think in a second Trump administration, from um, the little bit that I saw of it getting put together, I was going to be a small part of it, that there was going to be a very concerted effort to put people in place that understood that he was in charge, understood what his vision was, especially for national security. I think that's where he really learned some of the hardest lessons. I think we saw another aspect, too, of COVID with the economy where he just got undermined consistently. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's another reason why, like, but at the end of the day, Trump was in a war and is still very much in a war against the establishment and the establishment is Republican and it's Democrat. So it's hard for me to fault the guy because like I said, militarily speaking, Trump 
breached this what we once thought was an impenetrable obstacle like he was the the shape charge that went off and now it's letting the rest of us run through it i'm not the only one but there's there's a lot of us now that are like hey we can go into this, this thing called the government and we can make it work for us so yeah i mean i wish he would have fired more people i hope he gets a chance to do so in 24. yeah or i mean some people are saying before i don't know about that but yeah definitely in, in uh yeah. 24. um what what was your job going to be in the in the second term if you don't mind me asking so i think i was going to work i was going to work somewhere in the national security council or potentially over at department of defense as a civilian interesting something in the, in the intelligence special operations realm yeah i i i had I, I was under the impression that that uh if he got a second term i mean i was convinced he was going to get a second term um he was going to be a totally different president uh, he was going to go balls to the wall. And you, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's easy to critique the guy uh, when we when we are not when we're not in the job that he you know, we, we don't know what it's like. We really don't. I mean, very few people do. Um, and he was attacked on all sides, the media, the both parties, the coronavirus, which which, uh, again, I don't think he handled. Per, I think he took the bait. I think he took the moment that he said, "Okay, we should lock down for two weeks." Uh, all the states ran with that and said, "No, we're locking down for forever, basically." And they used that against him. Forever, yeah, yeah. Um, and and then and um, and then and then with the coronavirus, then they had the 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 harvesting ballots and and all of that. I mean, so all of these problems, um, were almost by design to defeat him. And then and yeah, then. I and yeah, and then and then it's still going like you said, it's still going on to this day. The January sixth thing is still happening today, and the narrative that that white there's a a massive white supremacist threat is um part of the narrative because they want to paint all Trump supporters as domestic terrorists. Yeah. Yep. And and uh, so this is something that I saw um with regards to white supremacists are the biggest threat. Um, it's a little blurry. But it basically just says that it's that's all wrong. I mean, the statistics prove that that's wrong. Uh, right. hate, hate group membership, yeah. uh, mostly black people. A quarter of them are white. Uh, domestic terrorist attacks. Man, I, 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 I don't know why it's looking blurry. It's hard for me to see it. But basically, the narrative that they're putting forth is completely wrong. Um, and there's massive, massive anti-white rhetoric going on. I mean, the Washington Post put out a video um a few days ago that 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 went viral and and it's it's um it's it's being normal you know they want to normalize certain things like normalize trans and normalize drag queens and all of that but they're also normalizing anti-white racism yeah absolutely i i think a bigger reason why they're they're doing this whole race the critical race theory and they're trying to stoke racial tensions another big thing that they want to draw attention away from is how well trump started to do with the latino community and with the Afri african-american community i mean they after trump flipped miami-dade county of all the cuban votes they freaked out if you look at what happened down the rio grande valley with hispanic voters like they freaked out i think the whole the weaponization of critical race theory and all these different race issues by the left is really the corporate ruling class the permanent ruling political ruling class they want to they want to make it so 
so that your average hardworking working class and middle class American, regardless of skin color, that they stay divided and fighting each other as opposed to being like, wait a sec, we actually have more in common with each other than we do with all these different power brokers. They want to keep us divided and fighting. So I, I think the whole race thing is just one big one big bait. And, and I, I by and large think despite how much the media pushes it, I, I really think the American people are going to start seeing through it. I think they overplayed their hand with the election and with COVID. And, and I think people are going to start to see it. Like it's really mostly just highly educated white people like on Twitter screaming right. all this racist crap. I, I, you don't you don't see the minority communities um, really falling for this. You see them by and large voting for people that are going to keep them safe and give them jobs, which is how people should vote. We should make our government work for us. But but the the. The people who already have the criminal mindset or who are already criminals, they're being emboldened. Like there was, um, yeah. it was yesterday, I think. Oh, this, yeah. this, did, did you hear about this Daytona cop uh, being shot in the head? Um, oh, the, no. Yeah, the guy. So he's in critical condition. He's 20, 26 years old. The guy who shot him is a black supremacist. He... um. He's in that NFAC group, and he's also mm-hmm. part of the New Black Panthers. Um, so it's like a quick thirty-second video, but this is what happened, yeah. and uh, and these people are being emboldened. Like I, I, I would not. I, I would tell people to to stay away from law enforcement, not be a cop, because it's this is what you're going to run into. Oh yeah. How's it going? Do you live here? What's going on? Sit down. Sit. 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 Sir. Can you sit down? I'll talk to you. Okay. No, come sit. on now. Sit. Come on now. Sit. Don't do this. Sit down. Why are you asking me do sit I down. live here? Do you live here? Yes or no? What's going on though? Who? Charlie seven seven. No, back up. Stop. 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 Stop, man. So that happened yesterday. Um, and you're not I, no one's talking about it. These things like no one's talking about any of these things. Of course not. Um, yeah, so, so I, I live just, we're just to the, uh, the north of Portland, Oregon, where I'm originally from. Um, and no one talks about the lawlessness that's take, taking that place over because they're not enforcing the law. So I think you're right. There is a criminal element that they know right now, the media and the left have demonized police officers. And there's, there's this whole movement to defund the police. So of course, if you're a criminal and you have bad intent, you're going to go in, you're going to exploit that. So I, th- I think lawlessness is a huge issue, man. I mean, look at the election. The, uh, the primary election in New York City, like the, the Republicans just chose the guy that's running the Guardian Angels yeah. or the, yeah, the Guardian Angels. Yeah. And then the Democrats chose a former, a former police officer. So it's like Republicans and Democrats are kind of agreeing they want law and order back in the city. Yeah, I, I like, again, the, the, the things that they're pushing are not no, it's not popular. Right. It's, it's not popular. It's, it's being propped up by the tech companies. It's being propped yeah. up by the media, by celebrities by all these people but that's not like the everyone that's being propped up by they they live in nice gated communities they don't have to deal that's with right. any of this stuff yeah and, and, and what's crazy to me is that um like the lawlessness you mentioned where you live um i i we don't really hear about that anymore other than that guy jason yep. rance who always talks about it or andy no yeah uh, because yeah. it's been completely normalized. Like, oh, another. Of course, that's in Portland. Of course, that's in Seattle. Like, of course, yeah. of course, that's it's going. Not it, it's just yeah. weird how we become desensitized to these things so easily. 
No, it's crazy. And it shows how much power the media has because the media stops talking about things, then it can just kind of go away down the memory hole or whatever you want to call it, or just completely ignoring it like Portland and Seattle. I mean, like every night they are rioting in Portland. Like the, we just had a massive uh, resignation of police officers in Portland um, because they're fed up. Like, quite frankly, I think they held on for too long. They should have resigned a long time ago. I, I don't think that would have made that much of a difference, but yeah, it's, but the lawlessness, I think, I think law and order, especially as this continues, is going to be a hot button issue. And if, if politicians aren't willing to actually stand up and try and protect their communities, I, I think that they're going to suffer the consequences at the ballot box. Yeah. So we're, we're winding down. But I don't want to keep you too long. But what do you think your chances are of winning? Because in a, when we have real elections, um, people like you, of course, can win. I mean, when we have a real election, Trump, yeah. Trump will win easily. So what do you what do you think your chances are? Uh, knowing what you know, I mean, knowing that that uh, maybe the whole country needs to have an audit, you know, even states Trump won, maybe those places should have an audit as well, because it could have also been tampered with. I feel really strongly about uh, getting elected out here. We, we were R plus five to begin with. Trump did really well in 2016. He did really well in 2020. We have a very uh, populist bend out here. Even our Democrats are more Bernie Sanders Democrats. Bernie Sanders 2016, not 2020 Democrats. Um, in 2012, this district went for Ron Paul as opposed to Mitt Romney. So this Trump's message really resonated out here. So I feel strongly about that. But to your point about uh, fair elections, Washington State, we've been doing mail out uh, ballots for quite a while now, and we've been using Dominion tabulation machines. So we definitely need to have an audit. I think what's going to happen though in 22 is that there's going to be so many angry, motivated Americans that are going to come out and they're going to peacefully go to the polls and go to the places where they're counting uh, the, the ballots that it's going to be much more difficult for people to cheat and to steal. And that's the, until we can go and force an actual national adjudication of the election, like I want to do when I get into Congress, that's the best that we can do. But there's so much popular support right now for observing our elections and, and holding these people accountable and just letting them know that we're watching. I think we stand a pretty good chance going into 22. I, I sure hope so. I mean, uh, we we need more people like you. Is there anyone that's running right now that you want to give a shout out to that 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 you think uh, you align with? And also, is there anyone that's in Congress right now? Um, because uh, uh, something I, w I wanted to briefly mention was that to me, it's bizarre that that, um, for instance, the Juneteenth thing passed so easily, even with someone like Rand Paul and Ted Cruz, like so-called America Firsters, uh, they all voted for this. Is there anyone that, that that's in Congress that that you uh, want to give a shout out to? Is there anyone that's running right now that you think is um, that you're aligned with? Yeah, I'm a big fan in Congress right now of uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, Paul Gosar, um, Mo Brooks. Those are the ones that are off the top of my head. Those guys are consistently fighting, I think, for for truth and for the will of their people. I really love how Marjorie Taylor Greene just uses very normal, plain um talking points to just articulate her views and instead of just complaining about things she always has alternative legislation that she proposes she doesn't just complain about open borders she actually presents a bill to to, to build the border wall mm -hmm. um and enact most of trump's policies once again she uses the parliamentary procedures to hold people accountable to have them actually put their names on the votes uh, matt gates has been spot on for a very long time um, about the endless wars and really holding the military accountable so i really appreciate him for that uh, Paul Gosar is awesome on immigration. I actually just signed on to an amicus brief with him 
to uh, help limit some of the visa loopholes that legal immigration um, is really being used to weaponize against the tech sector. Um, so those are the guys I, I'm, I'm really big fans of. I haven't followed a lot of the other races, um, to be honest with you, about other about other candidates. Yeah. Well, just focus on your own, and then and then uh, and then you'll win. Uh, we, yeah. We need you in there. But but in the That's meantime. I'm leaving the country for a couple of years and then I'll come back. But in the meantime, I'm <laughs> dude, I live in Los Angeles. I'm out. I'm, I just had a baby. Oh man. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. LA, man. I don't, I don't blame you. Come it's, up here to Washington, man. Third congressional district. We need your votes. <laughs> I, it looks, it looks beautiful up there. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Man. Like your, 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 your video was very, you know, very scenic. It is, man. It's amazing. That's why we're fighting for it. All right. So maybe, maybe after, uh, Maybe I'll move up there to vote <laughs> legally. legally. I'm not going to vote yeah. in two places. I'm not going to vote in two places right. like like many people did. Um, but thank you so much for coming on, Joe. Uh, I'm going to keep following yeah. you and and uh, and hopefully hopefully we get you in there. Um, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. That was my interview with Joe Kent. I hope you liked it. Like I said, the final video of this podcast is I usually do funny videos. I usually do quick videos. This is three minutes long. It's um it's from his appearance on Tucker. And I know this is something that we spoke about on the interview, but it's it's still worth hearing again in the way he says it so clearly, so succinctly. And and uh it, it it's just I, I I kind of you know good people like this when they when they run for office they usually aren't given a fair chance there's a big machine that is 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 in place to stop people like him but if he gets in there this will be a nice trend to pay attention to it's people who care about this country who know exactly how it works and and uh and i think that like trump winning this can be a new, a new pattern that we see, a new, um, a new normal. <laughs> so uh, this is the final video. I'm Joshua Cash. That was wrong opinion. This is the final video with uh, Joe Kent on Tucker, and then a song. I love you. Bye. So the last administration, Donald Trump, tried to end a bunch of our foreign wars. And the Pentagon kind of, oh, of course, you're, you know, you're the commander in chief. But they completely ignored him and they undercut him and they kept troops in places Trump tried to withdraw from. Well, there are huge consequences to that. In one case, the wife of the man we just interviewed, Joe Kent, was killed because of that. She was killed in Syria. She shouldn't have been there in the first place. Joe Kent is now running for Congress in the state of Washington. He spent his entire life in the U.S. military as a door kicker, too. He's a serious guy. We were one of the most interesting conversations we've had in a long time. He's an amazing person. Here's part of the conversation from Tucker Carlson today. The problem is the political appointees and then, again, that incentive system for telling policymakers what they want to hear as yes. opposed to what they should hear. And Iraq is a perfect example. I mean, that was it an is. intel failure, among other things. Absolutely. Intel and, and political. Interesting. Yeah. So you enjoyed it? I did, yeah. I, I really like the way that the, um, the CIA's core mission is to go out and try and find the truth, try and find um, actionable intelligence to help keep this country safe. I, some of the partisanship that I saw there, I was pretty disgusted with. 
Um, the same thing at the upper levels of the military, too. It was a night and day difference when President Trump came in. I mean, he, there was those of us that were on the ground that had been fighting the wars, we really liked President Trump's foreign policy because ISIS had taken over two countries at that time, three if you count uh, Libya. And he said, hey, I want the caliphate crushed. Go in there, crush the caliphate, and we're getting out. And that was, you know, so he gave us the tools that we needed, the authorities we needed to go in and conduct that mission. Um, but then he, he attempted to at least get us out. Under Obama, there had just been this stagnation of we're going to continue to deploy, put people in danger, but we don't actually have the will to go in and defeat the enemy. So Trump was very refreshing. But then also the way that Trump cut through a lot of the rhetoric about why we got into these wars in the first place. He you know, didn't, hold any, didn't pull any punches. So among war fighters or people yeah. gathering intelligence on the ground, this exactly. was considered a good thing. It was. But was. by management, it was not right. This is a lot of the senior leadership did not like the way that, uh, you know, Trump had been critical of top DOD brass, the head of the intelligence community saying, hey, you guys have gotten it wrong before. Like, as opposed to saying, hey, I believe everything that you guys say, you know, which is <laughs> which is what I think they wanted to hear. Of course. You know, Trump actually had the audacity to say, you know, like, you guys are great. Yeah, you guys Good are great. Job. Trump had the audacity to say, like, I'm going to check your math every now and again. It's like, oh, you're going to check my math. Like, how dare you? So could you you could feel the hostility toward him? I could. Yeah, absolutely. I could. Um, you know, the longer I was in, I think I was probably at too junior of a level to see any of that under Bush. Yes. When Obama came in, you know, we were told, hey, this is the commander in chief now. And all of us accepted that. Of course, that's the oath that we took yes. as a commander in chief. I didn't vote for the guy, but hey, I would go and fight and die under him. Friends of mine fought and died under him. Not a big deal. When Trump came in, it was a night and day difference. There was a there was a partisan bitterness to a lot of the leadership. They did not like what Trump had said about them um, getting things wrong before, and then they did not like the drastic changes that Trump wanted to make. Because the the government hates change, especially if yes. that change is going to end programs, especially lucrative programs like wars. So there was a lot of just heavy disdain for Trump and his policies. Articulated. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. With um, attempting to get us out of the conflicts is where I saw it. I mean, my wife would be alive today had President Trump's orders been followed. You talk to a guy for an hour and you can tell, is this person a fraud or not? Joe Ken is not a fraud. Many of them are frauds. He is not. Oh, my mind.